Hello, friends. Welcome to Resting Church Face, a podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Allen, and this is episode eight. And this week, we are going to go back in time to 1997, well, really to April 15th, 1912, as we continue our series, The Movies That Shaped Me, with one of the biggest movies that really affected me, and that is Titanic. Yes. So get out a box of Kleenex, listen to your James Horner score, ask your mom if she can find the poster that was hanging in your dorm room in 1998 of Leonardo DiCaprio's face, and let's get started. So I know I told you in episode one that I went to see The Holiday eight times in the theater, which I did. So you know that I'm a repeat viewer of a movie. If I really like it, I will go back to see it. I saw this movie five times in the theater. Five times! And as an adult, I'm kind of amazed now because I rewatched it this week to refamiliarize myself. This movie is three hours long. I cannot believe that I sat a total of 15 hours in a movie theater and I don't believe I had to get up to go to the restroom one time. <laughs> ah, youth and youthful bladders. But this movie, y'all, it, it got me. And it wasn't just me. It affected a whole generation. I was 17 years old when this movie came out. It was released on December 19th, 1997. I went opening night with my friend Bridget. We went to Mount Berry Square Mall. Or actually, I don't think it was like the, it was the theaters outside Mount Berry Square Mall in Rome, Georgia, because they were the nicest theaters at that point. It was a packed theater. When the movie was over, I remember Bridget looking at me and without irony, and we were not kidding, she looked at me and she said, my heart hurts. And it did. We were devastated. This movie just wrecked us, but we loved it and we kept going back. So I need to tell you before we get into um, just kind of going over the movie, because like I said, I rewatched it. I hadn't seen it in a few years. I made some notes. I need to tell you I, don't, I need to convey to you how much this movie meant to me. And so I'm going to tell you the story. So I was 17. I really was in love with Leonardo DiCaprio. I still love him. I will not have anyone say anything bad about Leonardo. I will not hear it. He is my white whale. I will chase him forever. <laughs> but I was just obsessed with him. I had when I, My freshman year of college, I had a poster. I had two posters of Leonardo DiCaprio. I had one from Romeo and Juliet where he's looking through the fish tank. And then I had another one of Titanic. Um, I had a sleep shirt of Titanic. Um, but my friend Bridget <laughs> made me a T-shirt, a T-shirt that she had made on her printer. And it had Jack Dawson, which is the character that Leonardo plays in, the, in Titanic, uh, his face on a T-shirt, which I wore for many years. <laughs> Like all through college, all through my 20s, it finally just fell apart and I could not wear it anymore. Uh, but I wore it all the time. But I was so into this movie. I bought the soundtrack, of course. And track four specifically was the track that I would listen to over and over. It's, it's called Rose. And it's it's the music to the scene where it's sort of the middle of the movie where Rose jumps back off the lifeboat to go back to Jack and they run and they meet each other at the grand staircase and he's like, he's crying and she's crying and he's like, Rose, you're so stupid, Rose. Why'd you do that? Huh? And I, oh, every time I saw that scene, I would burst into tears. So I would sit in the dark in my bedroom. I would listen to that, that track specifically. I would light a candle and it was a taper candle that I had found like in a cupboard. And it was like the taper candles that my mom would use for like Thanksgiving that you would burn like maybe half an inch every year. So it would take like 10 years to burn down. <laughs> so I would light that taper candle, sit in the dark, listen to that song, and I would cry for Jack Dawson. <laughs> and I mean, I would, I would cry. I would get those emotions out. 
and I did this a lot. It was it was a memorial. It was a shrine in, of mourning to Jack, not Leonardo DiCaprio because I knew he was alive and well, but it was Jack. And so, I mean, spoiler alert: the movie is called Titanic. So if, if you're going into this and you haven't seen it, people die in this movie, <laughs> and unfortunately, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is uh, the most af- affecting death. Uh, he does die. So I was sitting in the dark one night doing my nightly ritual of, you know, crying and mourning Jack, listening to my song. And my dad, you know how your parents when you're in high school, they would like knock on the door, but they really wouldn't wait for you to say come in. They would just like, they knock and they come in. So he knocked and he opened the door and he saw me sitting in the dark wearing my Jack t-shirt, listening to my song with my candle and crying. He took one look at me and he kind of paused and then he goes, you're weird. And he closed the door. <laughs> so... If that doesn't tell you who I was as a 17-year-old and who I am, honestly, to this day, I don't really, I can't really convey it any other way. So let's get into talking about Titanic. Um, I rewatched it. There are some things that really still hold up. It's really still great in a lot of ways. And then there are some things now that I watch and go, ooh, okay, I didn't notice that. So we're going to get on into all of it. So let's get started. Okay, so to start off, let's let's state a few uh, things, disclaimers. I am going to spoil this movie because we're going to go through it. So if you have not seen this movie, feel free to pause. You can rent it on Apple TV right now for $3.99. Again, it is three hours, so prepare yourself, uh, but you can watch it. The second disclaimer is, yes, in the middle of this movie, there is a surprising, uh, if you have not seen it, because I was surprised um, when, when I went to see it in the movies, um, you get to see Kate Winslet in all her glory. There, there is a, a a nude scene, and you know it was rated PG thirteen. I don't think like today you could get away with that scene in a PG thirteen movie. I think it would have to be R. So I don't know if they would like go back and re-rate this movie. But if you are planning on watching this movie, you have kids, just be aware of that. So let's start off with the basic premise of Titanic, and let's let's go through you know, Titanic, if you, if you have not been through history. So RMS Titanic was a British passenger liner. I'm reading this from Wikipedia. It was operated by the White Star Line, which sank in the North Atlantic Ocean on April 15th, 1912, after striking an iceberg during her maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York City, United States. Of the estimated 2,224 passengers and crew aboard, more than 1,500 died, making it the deadliest sinking of a single ship up to that time. The movie, as I said, was released on December 19th, 1997, directed by James Cameron, music by James Horner. And the first scene when we start off, the first thing that I wrote down as I was rewatching this was the music, the, the opening credits, you know, it's showing people waving goodbye on the Titanic. And I, I think it's the actual footage of some of it anyway, of the actual Titanic. It is chilling. Like I got goosebumps the moment that the ooze started. <laughs> That score by James Cameron, it still is fantastic. Um, and then it starts, it immediately shifts to an underwater submarine scene where we have Bill Paxton, who plays Brock Lovett, who is a treasure hunter. Um, he is looking f- for the wreckage of the Titanic, and he is in a submarine. And so let's talk for just a second about Bill Paxton. He looks like a pirate, like a pirate from 1982 that just, like, kept his style until 1997. It's it, He's rough. He looked really rough. Um, I, I do think, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, I feel like the, the dialogue for the modern scenes 
is is not great. <laughs> and frankly, honestly, the dialogue through a lot of this movie is not wonderful. I don't think that that is James Cameron's strong suit. He's very good at giving you a, a feel and, you know, like an emotion for the movie and the graphics and everything are great, but his dialogue uh, is a little leaves some things to be desired. But I do think that the the good actors in the movie are able to pull it off and it you don't notice it so much, but there are some actors that are a little wooden. Um unfortunately Bill Paxton is doing his best, but his his dialogue is a little eh, okay. But so they're going underwater, we're seeing the actual footage of the actual Titanic on the bottom of the ocean and I will say guys, that is very moving. It's haunting. You're seeing, you know, the actual wreckage. And I read somewhere that, you know, it is slowly disintegrating that soon it will be gone, which is kind of sad. If you think about like, it will no longer be there as, you know, a testimony to what happened, but you're seeing footage of like, there are boots, there are glasses, like actual eyeglasses. There's that doll face that I saw that James Cameron said that he, for just a second, when they shot that footage, he thought he was seeing a skull and it was a doll face because it is eerie. Um, but he does a really good job of giving you that haunted sense because you see like the piano that doesn't play anymore, but you get to hear just a little bit of this, of a piano playing like it would have been playing on the Titanic. So that works really well. So Brock Lovett is a treasure hunter. He is searching for the heart of the ocean, which is this huge diamond necklace that he is convinced went down with the Titanic and it, that it is going to be located in a safe in the stateroom of this Pittsburgh uh, steel tycoon named Cal Hockley. And so he finds it. He finds the safe using his little submarine robot. They haul the safe onto his research vessel. They open the safe and, of course, nothing is in it except this folder that contains a drawing of a beautiful topless woman wearing the necklace, the actual necklace, the heart of the ocean. And so he puts out a news report, you know, saying that they found this thing, they found this picture. And of course it cuts to Rose Calvert's home, this old lady. She's watching the news report and she says that it's her. She sees the picture, says that it's her to her niece, Lizzie, who I wrote down. Lizzie looks like every Gen Z actress I've ever seen. And she is the worst actress. She is terrible. Every line of dialogue that Lizzie says, so Lizzie is played by Susie Amos. I'm sorry, Susie. You, you did not deliver. Um, but everything she says, she's like, remember, Nana? Terrible. Um, and then the next scene, they've got Rose flying in a helicopter with her dog <laughs> and her mini pictures. She set us up in her stateroom. So here's my first gripe, I would say. Gloria Stewart, who plays Old Rose, I do not believe that she would be Kate Winslet young. It doesn't work to me. They don't look enough alike, and there's not the same fiery spirit that Kate Winslet has. And everything that Gloria Stewart says, bless her heart, it just feels like she is reading it from a cue card that they're holding up in front of her. Um, the part that I wrote down that just kills me is when she says, the China had never been used it makes me laugh every time. Um, and I know now that like Maggie Smith would have been too young at this point to do this, but I feel like she would have been like the perfect old Rose or even like Imelda Staunton, I think would have really delivered as older Rose. So then of course we flip back to the past and we see our first shot of Titanic and all its detail. And guys, the detail is astounding. The CGI in this movie, especially in 1997 was just unreal. It is still 
breathtaking. It still holds up. And that first shot of Kate Winslet when she shows up as young Rose and she's looking up at the ship from underneath that black and white hat is iconic. I think years from now, like when we're all in our 80s and 90s, that shot of her looking up at the ship is going to be one of those classic moments that they show in every movie roundup scene until the end of time. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. She is so beautiful. She's perfect. Um, the next thing I wrote down were dogs. I didn't notice the dogs. There are dogs going into the Titanic, and now I'm worried about the dogs. Because, yes, over 1,500 people died in the sinking of Titanic, but I'm now worried about the dogs that also passed away, because that is who I am. I look up uh, the dogs dying, like I think I've said this before on doesthedogdie.com. If you are watching a movie and they introduce a pet, there is a website called doesthedogdie.com that you can go to, and it will tell you if an animal dies or the pet that you're worried about. So there you go. The more you know. So then we are introduced to our first real shot of Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack Dawson. He is playing poker with a bunch of guys and he ends up winning his tickets on Titanic in a hand of poker. He wins the hand of poker and the Swedish guys dodge a bullet. <laughs> but he wins a ticket for him and his friend Fabrizio, played by Danny Nucci. And Danny Nucci, unfortunately, delivers what I would say probably is the second worst line in Titanic, and that is when he yells, I go to America. He should have been fired for that. It, it is terrible. <laughs> it's just the delivery, all of it. Um, I laugh out loud, but I don't think you're supposed to. <laughs> it's just because it's not, it's not good. And then we go back to Rosa's stateroom where she is in the room with now with her fiance, Cal Hockley, who owned The Heart of the Ocean, who is played by Billy Zane. Billy Zane, guys, um, he's a little over the top, I think, as a villain because he just looks evil. <laughs> like he, Billy Zane just has one of those faces where you just expect him to be bad. And he's just not a likable character at all. And I think it would have been more effective if they had cast someone who is extremely charming to everybody else and then maybe privately scary. Um, but but this character, Billy Zane, plays him as just unlikable all the way around. Like, no, you feel like no one really likes this guy. And maybe that was a conscious choice. I, I don't know. But he is just a little bit too, like, cartoonishly villainous. Um, and then I also got really, I noted here that I got really tickled at Rose's casual assessment of all of these paintings that she has. She's like, there's truth, but no logic. I mean, she's supposed to be 17 years old. I don't know anybody that talks like this. But she does. Um, and then she's like, it's like being in a dream or something. And then they ask her who it's by. And she's like, Picasso something. Ha ha ha. So it's like, it's funny, but I feel like it's it's more dumb funny. Um, and then we're introduced to unsinkable Molly Brown, who is played by Kathy Bates. And I have uh, written down here, Kathy Bates is her most Kathy Batesy. <laughs> so I find this really fascinating. Um, so I feel like the character of Molly Brown, who is a real person. She was really instrumental in organizing the lifeboats and she stood up to a lot of the crewmen who did not want to go back to rescue people and she sort of forced them to do it. I don't think she gets enough credit and is not given enough uh, or as much oomph as she should have had. But I feel like Kathy Bates makes it work. She is She does a good job, even with some pretty hokey lines that she has to deliver. But I find this fascinating. This part was originally written with... Reba McIntyre in mind. Like, guys, I, I don't dislike Reba McIntyre, but this would have been the worst decision ever. Can you imagine? I feel if, if Reba McIntyre had shown up, that it would have sunk. The whole ship would have gone down in the first 20 minutes. 
Like it would have ruined the whole movie because I feel like it would just be like Reba McIntyre in Titanic. I just, I'm so glad that uh, Kathy Bates stepped in and played that part. So then Titanic leaves the docks at Southampton and heads to New York City. It starts starts the voyage, and we have that iconic moment of Jack getting on the bow of the ship with Fabrizio and yelling, I'm king of the world, which was parodied a million times. But I did write down here, if Rose had heard Jack yelling that, he'd have never gotten to first base. <laughs> if she had been on the deck when that happened, I think she'd have been like, uh, and no. Because that is a pretty geeky moment. <laughs> and like... I read somewhere that that was a Leonardo DiCaprio edition, and they're like, how cute. But, I mean, really, I think that if she had heard him say that, it would have lost some of the smoldering intensity that he is able to deliver later in the movie. And then, of course, we have the moment where Rose, the character, is very upset, and she feels invisible, and she is just miserable. She's trapped in a in an engagement that where he is physically abusive and she thinks she might want to jump off the back of the ship. And of course Jack saves her. And the part where he tells her I'm involved now. And you know, if you jump, I jump, that's kind of become canon uh, for my generation. That has been said so many times. And I think that was kind of a creation of a classic line. That part still holds up. It's pretty scary. Like where she's dangling off the back of that ship, you can feel the fear and how scary that would have been if that actually had happened. So that's, that's really well executed. And then, of course, they invite him to dinner for saving her life. And now let's talk about Rose's mom. So Frances Fisher, the actress, plays uh, Ruth DeWitt Bucator. I have a hard time saying that. Ruth DeWitt Bucator. Um, She is flawless. She is that, especially if you're from the South, you know what I'm talking about. It's a type of woman who's like sweet poison, is what we call it, where she will say something to you and you're like, "Did did you just insult me? But you're not sure. Or she would say something nice to you and then turn around and give her little, like, group of friends a look. She's, like, the original mean girl. And Frances Fisher's delivery of this is wonderful. She just plays it pitch perfect. Um, the line that she says to Jack at the dinner when she says, And you find that sort of rootless existence appealing, do you? Perfect. Devastating. Wonderful. Um, then we have Rose making a toast. And it's the most, as the youth would say, uh, cringe, where she goes, To making it count. She might as well just wear a sign emblazoned across her chest that says, I think Jack Dawson is hot because I think everybody knows it. And then, of course, he takes Rose after this party uh, in first class when they have this really formal dinner. He takes her to a third class party. And that third class party is a banger. It looks like so much fun. You've got violins. You've got people dancing poorly. Rose decides to show that she's a, a real woman by standing on her toes. And everybody's like, oh, wow. (laughs) They spin a lot. She drinks a a beer in one gulp. She's a cool girl. But it really does look like uh, it was a fun party. And I will say one moment, the next moment, where you see Billy Zane and they're having breakfast after she's gone to this third class party. And, you know, he's like, why didn't you come see me last night? And she's like, I'm tired. And then she's like, I am your fiance. And he tosses the table aside and he gets right in her face and he's yelling at her. That part is terrifying and he plays that very very well like you are scared of him and you can see what a monster he is how physically abusive he is and and Kate Winslet plays that moment also extremely well she is so afraid of him and um you can see the way that he has treated her this whole time so Billy Zane really shines in that moment And now we come to what I think is the second most romantic scene of this movie, and it is the kiss on the bow of the ship, 
when she finally decides that she is going to give their relationship a chance and Rose comes to the bow of the ship and she meets Jack and they do the whole, I'm flying. And again, that is a scene that has been parodied many times, but guys, it works. It works. The music is perfect. The It's romantic. Their hands kind of entwining and, you know, he's singing Come Josephine in her ear and then they kiss and it's just a really romantic scene. And also when it fades out where you see the actual ship and you just see them kind of superimposed over the decaying ship under the water for just a second, it's haunting. Um, it's a really effective scene. And then, of course, we have the big moment where she says, Jack, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. And he does. And so we won't really stay on that point. <laughs> it's a, a very... Um, important part of the movie. I do think it is important because I think that she has been abused in a lot of ways. And I think this is a moment where she is trying to take control of her life and her decisions. And so I get why they added it in, but it was a shock when I was in the movies to see, uh, I don't think I had seen nudity in a movie. Um, and you know, and it isn't in a sexual context. It really is just, he's painting her, but it was surprising for me. And then they take off running from Cal's uh, henchman, Spicer Lovejoy. What a name, right? Spicer Lovejoy, an ex-policeman, um, and he is played by David Warner. And then as they're going down the elevator, Rose gives uh, shoots a bird <laughs> to Spicer Lovejoy. Did they do that in 1912? I'm not sure. This is a moment where I fully believe that she is 17 years old. And so now I'm going to kind of bounce around a little bit and kind of get through this because I'm taking too long and I don't want, I could talk about this for hours, but let's just go kind of to the high points. Um, I, I think Victor Garber as Mr. Andrews, who is the architect of the ship, he plays um, Thomas Andrews. He is fantastic in this. Uh, the scene where he, when he finds out that the ship is sinking, it is so wonderful. And you know, the, the part where it shows him as the ship is sinking and he sets the clock where he's just so resigned, it's, it's going to happen, and he's just waiting. Uh, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. I also think um, when they hit the iceberg, that moment is, is terrifying. From the moment that they hit the iceberg, really until the end of the movie, you're just, it, it is a whole roller coaster of emotions. And it's done very well. It is, it is very effective, and I feel like it does exactly what James Cameron really wanted it to do. Um, the guy that plays the captain who is uh, Bernard Hill. He also is Theoden, King of Rohan in uh, Lord of the Rings. Just a little tidbit of information there. Um, his being in complete shock when the ship is going down, when he, the moment that he finds out from Mr. Andrews that they are going to sink until the part where he locks himself inside, inside the steerage room and goes down with the ship, um, he plays that so well. Like He is so pitiful because he really just kind of has a breakdown. Like He's lost touch with reality. Um, really, really sad. And I wrote down here, like the part where, um, so Rose has to go rescue Jack because Cal pins the theft of the diamond on Jack. He puts it in his pocket and pretends that he tried to steal it after he drew Rose wearing it. The scene where she goes to rescue him and you see the water slowly get going down the hallways really is like a scene in the shining. It is so creepy. It's so scary. Um, when the water starts pouring in on Jack and, you know, every time that they see the water rising, you're, you can feel the, the, just the sheer panic that you would have felt. It's done really well. Um, the one thing, the other thing that I think is a little bit, doesn't make much sense to me. So Cal gets so furious 
that Rose chooses Jack, that he just decides to, you know, he's going to try to kill them. <laughs> so he, like, goes after them with a gun. And, you know, th- the ship is actively sinking. They don't know if they're going to live, but he's going to take the time to chase after them with a gun. So I do, like, feel confused by, I feel like that maybe that was a little over the top. But then again, I was thinking about it today, and I was like, I think the whole point of it is that Cal is so offended Rose would choose Jack Dawson, this poor artist, over him that he just kind of loses, has a break with reality, really, and just is like, uh, I'm just going to kill him. Because he's so upset that he doesn't even remember that he put the necklace in the pocket of the jacket that he gave to Rose, and now he's lost the the necklace. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense. So the, the most romantic scene to me in the whole movie, and I referenced this in the soundtrack, is when... <laughs> you know, Rose decides to leave the lifeboat and she decides to join Jack and, you know, they race to each other and, you know, she decides she's going to go down with him. So from that moment, when the ship starts to really sink, the panic and just all of it is so terrifying. Um, It starts with, you know, you see the girl in the nightgown floating in front of the spotlight. And then the music is used so well in these moments where you have that moment where the flare goes off and it's silent. And all of a sudden the score rushes back in to let you know that it is happening. The ship is sinking. The lights go out. People are screaming. People are falling off of the deck. They're hitting the, the propeller blades. The steam engine things are falling off onto people. I mean, it's just chaotic. And it must have been probably worse than that. But, I mean, you really feel like you are in that moment with everybody that is on that ship. And so the scene where they, like, start to actually go down into the water and Jack is like, this is it. This is it. Take a breath when I tell you. Like, all of it. I was sitting here like, oh, my gosh. I've seen this movie so many times. But it still gets me. Um, just the terror that that must have been like. I'm scared of the the ocean anyway. I'm just not a big fan of, uh, we've mentioned this, pools are good for me. The thought of just going down into that water just is so scary to me. Okay, so now let's talk about they're in the water. They find the door. They're freezing. And everybody talks about, could he have fit on that door? Probably. But I think this is the way that it needed to end. For it to, to have been as heart-wrenching and wonderful a story, he kind of had to die. <laughs> you know, because like he gets her through everything. He saves her life. He saves her life not only by, and she says this actually at the end of the movie as Old Rose in a long monologue that is not great, but she does say it. He saves her life in a lot of ways. Like he gets her to see that she had been trapped with people that were just not good for her. She was living life for other people, but he also literally saved her life. He got her through the sinking of the Titanic. The part guys where she has to let him go. And like, he falls into the, you know, the water with his hand up in the air and sinks down into the Atlantic guys. I just, like, I'm going to admit I teared up again. <laughs> it still works. It still holds up. And then we go back to present time and old Rose is finished telling her story and she delivers the worst line in the whole movie. <laughs> and this is, this is it. She says, a woman's heart is a deep ocean of secrets. No, <laughs> no one says things like this. And everybody that's listening is like, oh yes. And then of course you have Bill Paxton at the end being like, I never let it in. 
all these years and I never let it in. And I just, I feel like the ending, like they needed to leave those parts out. And of course, old Rose drops the heart of the ocean. You see that she does have it after all these years. It was in her pocket and she had taken Jack's name. She told the guy um, that was taking names when the survivors came off the ship that her name was Rose Dawson, which is a very wonderful moment. But then she throws the, uh, uh, the necklace into the water over the wreckage of the Titanic. It feels very appropriate. And then she, we see that she does die in her bed and then, in a scene that I feel like James Cameron added for people like me who who are just sitting there devastated and weeping over Jack Dawson, she does travel back to the ship and everybody is there. They clap when she enters and at the top of the stairs at the clock at the grand staircase is standing Jack Dawson, Leonardo DiCaprio. He takes her in his arms and they kiss and that's the end of the movie. A wonderful ending. However, I now am thinking, and I told my sister this tonight when we were talking about this movie, and I was like, why would you want your heaven for all of these people that died in horrific ways? Why are they stuck still on this this ship for all eternity just so Rose can show up and kiss Jack? That doesn't seem fair. I would not like that to be my heaven. Thank you. I'd like to actually go to heaven, but they're going to be stuck on Titanic for all time. But it's a great ending. It does feel like it's wrapped up in a bow and you feel a little bit less raw after seeing it because you know that they are together and everything is okay. So yay for that ending. I'll take it. So this week, instead of telling you about a movie or show that I have watched, I just want to say this movie holds up. And I really think you should go and watch it. You can rent it, like I said, for $3.99 on Apple TV. It is three hours long, but watching it in your house is, is super enjoyable. And, for you know, there are some plot holes now that I, I see or some things that weren't done quite as well as they could have been. One thing I think that is interesting is uh, James Cameron did say the one thing that he would change about the movie. There's a scene with uh, one of the first officers, Officer Murdoch, and I did not write down who played that part, but he was a real person. And in the movie, he is overcome by guilt after he shoots um, one of the passengers, and it's kind of an accident moment, but he shoots himself in the head. And James uh, James Cameron said that he made that decision just thinking that it was a really good plot device, and he wasn't thinking about the fact that that man was an actual person. And his family, um, this uh, Officer Murdoch's family, was very upset because that is not something that happened. There is no account of this person shooting himself in the head. This was added for dramatic effect, and James Cameron did issue an apology to that family. So, I mean, there are things like that that I think you can go back and say we probably should have done that a little differently. But for the most part, like, it was super enjoyable, and I think it holds up really well. Again, the score is fantastic. So I would recommend if you're going to just discover something this week, if you've not done it, if you've not seen it, or if it's been a long time since you've seen it, go watch the movie. You can... Um, listen to the whole soundtrack on Spotify. They actually have like the anniversary editions now that you can listen to. Listen to track four, maybe light a candle. Because it really is just a really entertaining movie. It's really well done. It's it's just a fine example of movie making. And I, for one, am very glad that I went to see it five times. And I will probably watch it many more times in the years to come. All right. All right. 
So that's it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with me again this week. Thank you also for following and liking and subscribing and telling your friends about the podcast and also for the really sweet comments and reviews that you've left on Apple Podcasts. It makes such a difference. I appreciate it so much. If you would like to find me on Instagram, it's really easy. I'm at Resting Church Face. I hope you have a fantastic week and let's get together again soon.